Welcome to UC Easy's podcast, Get Schooled. At UC Easy, we are passionate about the student journey through high school and the college admissions process. We are experts from around the country that come together on a shared mission to support you. Through conversations with counselors, writing coaches, career and industry experts, former UCEZ students, and even our CEOs, you will learn, laugh, and maybe even cry, but hopefully find yourself on a better path in your own journey. You won't find this level of expertise and passion about the college admissions process from anywhere else. So come and get schooled by the UCEZ team. So hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Um, for each episode, we like to focus on the different aspects of the college application process and to show you that we have experts in all aspects of, of that process of college admissions. And there is a lot to it. So today we're talking about, I'll have to say, one of my least favorite topics, money. So we're talking about financial aid, all the different forms of financial aid, what it means kind of to discuss and navigate the misconceptions and everything else. So um, again, my name is Jim Brookover. I'm the director of the College Essay Writing Program. So nothing to do with financial aid, but I can get the support and resources that students need. And I'm going to have my colleague, Deanna, um, introduce herself. Hi, everyone. I'm Deanna Goldberg. I uh, am a college counselor through UCEasy. And I've been in the high school and college counseling business for about 28 years now, uh, which is a really long time. And I also... Um, went through this process uh, as a parent just this last year, as I have twins that are freshmen in college uh, this fall. So I've now got that perspective uh, in addition to my years of working with students in both public and private high school settings. Yes, so we are, let's start with that, I think, um, because that's a great way of showing people that you get it. You've just did this. You just had to fill out, um, I don't want to say the notorious FAFSA form, but the notorious FAFSA form. Um, so let's start with that of what is the FAFSA form, because students hear that, parents hear that, and they have no clue. Um, let's start with that and, and kind of guide us um, through that piece and what you had to do as a parent. Of twins, by the way, two freshmen in college. So. <laughs> Sure, sure. So uh, the FAFSA is the federal form, the federal application that's used for any university or actually community college or technical school nationwide. So all throughout the U.S., it stands for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. Uh, it is an online form, and it's typically submitted between October and the beginning of March uh, by really every family who uh, has a student applying to college. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the misconceptions is that a lot of times parents will say, well, we're, we make too much. We're not going to get anything. I'm not going to fill out the FAFSA form. So as you know, a counselor and a, a parent who's been through this, what is your um, guidance on that piece? Sure. So there are a variety of reasons to fill out the FAFSA. Um, honestly, it doesn't really matter how much you make because there are different things you can qualify for through FAFSA. Um, So I'll step back for a moment and kind of talk about what you can qualify for by filling it out. So typically the FAFSA is asking for family income information, how much you make, how many uh, people live in your family, um, kind of what your obligations are. Uh, It does not 
count everything. It doesn't count retirement funds or home mortgages, but pretty much all of your other finances, if you own a business, things like that. And generally speaking, that information that you give goes into a federal formula and then a number is produced. Uh, it's changing its name, but currently it's called the EFC, which is the Estimated Family Contribution, which is a number that the federal formula has determined you can pay. Uh, so for some families, their income may be too high and they may not qualify for a lot of federal aid. However, two main reasons to still fill out the FAFSA are a lot of universities require it in order to qualify you for scholarships. So they want to see essentially if the federal government is going to give you any money before they decide how much they might offer you in a scholarship. Uh, so it's often a requirement, so definitely you know, just check that box and do it uh, so that it doesn't eliminate you from the requirements or qualifications for any sort of scholarship money. The other is if you have any interest in student loans so or parent loans, to be honest. So uh, when you fill out the FAFSA, you often qualify for three different types of aid, grants, work study, which I'll talk about in a moment uh, to give you a little more explanation, and then loans. So if you are thinking about taking a parent loan or a student loan, the FAFSA loans uh, are typically some of the best to start with because they have lower interest rates. They have, uh, sometimes they're subsidized while the students are in school, so you don't have to pay the interest until they finish. Uh, and also uh, they're kind of, they have a grace period for once the student finishes school, they don't have to actually start paying on their loan until six months after graduation. So give them a little grace period to get on their feet, get a job, things like that after college. Um, so those are kind of the two main reasons to still fill it out, potentially scholarships and potentially loans. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that because I know um, that comes up all the time, like all the time working with students and parents will say, well, I'm not going to fill it out. We don't I, or I don't want to fill it out. And why should I fill it out? And I'm like, because one, it's re a requirement, you know, and it is a federal form. So it's going to take some time to process, um, yes. and, you know, so you don't want to wait on that. And, you know, the other piece, too, is that, you know, if you are eligible for something, you're not you might not know, like maybe you are eligible for a grant, you know, or, or some aid that you weren't really aware of you know so there's that that piece too so why not it's free to fill out the form you know and again if a college is requiring it then you have to do it for this college but maybe that college isn't requiring it but you got to do it anyway so just get that that done and you know and again Deanna mentioned it's like from October to March you know we always recommend you can start of course filling it out October 1st of your child's senior year um, but then you have until March yes but you want to get it in sooner rather than later because if you are eligible for some grants that money isn't uh, like a big pool you know there's a pool of money but it then is allocated to other students too yes absolutely and there are actually some universities who have earlier deadlines mm -hmm. uh that go along with the fafsa uh and their scholarship deadlines yeah. so earlier the better for sure you want to check individually with each university because it does vary a little bit um, and as Jen said, with some of the grants, especially the state grants, uh, they can run out. So earlier, the better um, with that. Uh, 
one of the things I want to just kind of loop back on is that when you do fill it out, there are two other things that you could potentially qualify for. Besides, I started talking about loans, but definitely grants. Uh, there are state grants, but there are also university grants. And these are free money. So, you know, essentially it's like a scholarship, although it's typically titled a grant when it comes through financial aid applications. Uh, but that is free money. It never has to be paid back. And it typically goes toward tuition uh, at some of the public and private universities. Mm -hmm. And then the other is work study. Work study is a federal program. Uh, but if your student qualifies for that, essentially, they are allotted a certain amount of money uh, to work on campus that year. Work-study jobs are great. They pay uh, usually uh, more than minimum wage, and they're very flexible with student hours, class schedules, final schedules, and it's all sorts of things on campus. The library, the bookstore, the restaurants, um, you know, even the parking lots. Like There's all kinds of things that they can do. <laughs> uh with their work study so yeah yeah, yeah. i did work i did work study year. yeah i did work study and it was mm -hmm. great i worked in the community service office so i got to coordinate you know volunteer programs and volunteering hours you know for all the service organizations for all the fraternities and sororities for people on campus and it was it was and i was getting paid for it and i loved it so that was yeah. just really nice um with that piece you know, too. So um, kind of to piggyback a little bit on, you know, filling out the form and everything, because I know a lot of parents ask this too, what do they need to fill out? So they need, you know, obviously like their gross income um, and then their last year taxes and it only goes back one year. Is that correct? Or two? Yes. Great question. So um, it goes back one year. <laughs> so it's the prior tax year. Uh, so, for instance, for students that are filling out the FAFSA this fall for fall 2021, the students and families will be using their 2020 taxes. Okay. Uh, so you don't have to worry about finish your taxes quickly or anything like that. It, it's from the previous year. So typically you you need, uh, you know, your 1040 form or, you know, whatever form you submitted for the previous tax year. And then you also need any business income if you do own your own business. If you do own any property besides the house that you live in, so if you own an extra vacation home or apartment, you need that sort of thing. Um, and then you also need information if you have uh, child support, um, alimony, things like that that you pay or are paid to you. And then any student income. So if your student worked uh, during the previous tax year, then their income will also be included. Okay, that's great. Um, one thing I, I'd also like to mention uh, is that some of, mostly the private universities do also require a separate form called the CSS profile. So sometimes FAFSA is not the only form. Uh, CSS profile is, um, it's a college board um, product. So same place where you'll, you'll do your SAT stuff if your kids are doing that, and then AP exams, uh, but it is required. Here's the thing about the CSS profile. So the FAFSA being a federal form can only ask families a certain, certain things. There's certain things they're not allowed to ask uh, being a government form, but the CSS profile can dig a little deeper uh, because it's a private form and for private universities, it does ask, uh, many more detailed questions. Uh, when I, 
I'd help students in my day-to-day job fill out FAFSA hundreds and hundreds of times. And I'd rarely done the profile, but I needed to do that for my own kids this last year. And I was shocked, honestly, at the, at the amount of detail that it shows. So you do have to kind of break down more if you do own a home and how much it's worth and your mortgage and, and retirement uh, savings and things like that. So, um, but keep that in mind because there are separate deadlines typically for FAFSA and CSS profile. Uh, and it kind of just varies college to college. Yeah, so that's important that the FAFSA form you're gonna fill out no matter what, as we had mentioned before, and the CSS profile, I know like NYU um, is one of the, you know, the schools that first comes to mind um, with, with that form. So, you know, again, every college differs with every kind of, just get used to filling out forms. Like welcome to the world of being an adult, <laughs> right? So just get used to all the different forms that you have to fill out. Um, you had mentioned and touched upon this. I just want to make sure that people understand is that there's um, two different main groups of aid, like need-based aid, and then there's the merit-based aid. So there's need-based aid based on your family's need, your family's income. You know, so that's again where they get, and I can't remember the new acronym either. There's too many acronyms in the education yes. world. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, uh, I forget. Um, but the expected family com- contribution, the EFC, was that the old acronym that's changing. But that's basically saying, like Deanna said, that here's what we as the federal government expect you to pay based on your income, you know? So that's need-based aid based on that. And so um, there's that, and then we'll get into and talk a little bit more about the different types of all the financial aid, you know, that we might not have covered, especially Mm -hmm. scholarships and all the resources out there. Um, But then merit-based aid is exactly what it sounds like. Merit based on your merit, based on your grades, your test scores, you know, based on your activities, the things that you've done. And those come in, you know, all different forms, but mainly scholarships of of that that information. So is there anything you wanted to add to that about like need-based versus merit-based? No, I I I think you did a great job um, with that, but definitely we want all students and families to really look into both because they Mm -hmm. are really two separate pools of money. Uh, And I think sometimes people kind of group it together like scholarships and financial aid. Uh, But most typically students will be awarded some merit scholarships and, you know, a grant or a loan and so forth. Um, With that said, the FAFSA itself doesn't typically cover scholarships. Mm -hmm. Uh, So because those are based on the things Jen said, you know, such as activities, community service, sometimes athletics, right? Uh, Grades, uh, all those sorts of things that are, that come through the merit scholarships, they, may be awarded to students directly through their university applications. Oftentimes students who are in the upper you know, percentile of their class academically or you know, have done a certain you know, number of volunteer hours, involvement, things like that, will, will be given a scholarship based on their university application. But there can also be separate university scholarship applications, essays, letters of recommendation. So this is where being really organized and having some kind of giant spreadsheet yes. of every school and, and what they have. Um, because I found even as a parent, I've told students for so many years, apply for scholarships, apply for scholarships. And I didn't honestly really realize until last year how much work it was for scholarships. Mm-hmm. Uh, they often want a unique essay, an extra essay. 
maybe an extra letter of recommendation and things like that. Uh, so I guess the fortunate thing is a lot of scholarship deadlines are a little bit later in the school year so that students are typically working really hard on college applications in the fall, mm -hmm. like November, you know, October, November, December into January a little bit. And then it kind of shifts and then it's kind of scholarship mode from January into, you know, into graduation time. Yeah. Yeah. And I tell them though, like start looking for those scholarships before you start on your applications, just to have, like you said, that spreadsheet and that list. So are you going to be able to work on all of that at the same time? If you are really organized, you can, yes, you can do it. I've had students who can, who've done it. Um, but it is a lot, but the piece you don't want to do is wait till you're done with all your applications, you know, and then it's January and you're like, okay, now I'm going to start looking for scholarships because there are ones out there that, that yes, involve, essays and yes involve more you know info and possibly rec letters and things like that but there are ones out there that are you know a simpler application and in those yeah. pieces you know and since we're, we're talking about that so that you know everyone understands kind of the need based versus merit based you can apply to as many scholarships as you want and that's the piece um this is going to date me as far as with my age Back in the day, um, before the internet, I know it's hard uh, to understand, we had to go to like an office and look through a book of things or a binder and then, you know, make copies of it or write information down. I, I will be honest, and this sounds bad, I have no, like, it's this bad. I have no empathy for my students who are like, oh, I haven't looked for any scholarships yet. You can look at them from your phone. Like you, you can, yeah. they're compiled for you. So there's yeah. many resources for scholarships. So like you had mentioned the college itself, sometimes it's just, you automatically can get it because you're eligible for it based on that, that merit. When you get accepted, congratulations, you've received this much. I mean, that's that, but you can't rely on that. So you also want to look at the college's financial aid pages and see, are there other ones that I need to apply to? If so, am I eligible for them? One, like don't waste time if you're not eligible for it. You know, check out early what those scholarships are so that you're not missing requirements and deadlines. And that's one source, that's the colleges. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about like, what are some of the other sources that either you use or that you recommend it, you know, for uh, obviously your own kids, but then for your, your kids, the students that you counsel too. Sure, sure. I think there are endless sources, like you said, because mm -hmm. we're now in the day and age of the internet. Yes. Uh, I remember those binders that you're talking about for sure. I, I use them myself <laughs> and I use them at work for many years. Yes. Um, <laughs> But so there are a few that I are kind of my go to, but they're, you know, they're kind of endless. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I often, uh, well, not often, I always uh, tell my students to check with their high schools themselves because high schools will often host uh, some on their website or some kind of spreadsheet. And those are valuable because they'll, they'll note nationwide scholarships like the Coca Cola or the Dell uh, or things like that. But they'll also have things that are more local, state, you know, state run or even in your county, city or even your school. So, uh, you know, it probably goes without saying, but as the applicant pool is smaller, right, as it gets into like your county or your city, you've obviously got a higher percentage, uh, you know, chance of, of winning. And then a couple of the platforms that I really like, one of them is called goingmary.com. It's M-E-R-R-Y, like Merry Christmas. Going Mary is one of my favorites. And there's scholarships.com, which is a general database. Uh, there's some on Big Future, yes. which is through yeah. the College Board website. And then 
there's raise me. I like raise me a lot as well. So raise me, what you do is you kind of fill out a profile of your, uh, well, the student fills out a profile of kind of all their resume type items, uh, their activities, their sports, their clubs, their, you know, volunteer work and such. And then it connects them to specific universities uh, that are on their list who either have matching funds or they give $1,000 for students who have volunteer work or, you know, $1,000 for students who were on track and field or cross country. Like it's, it's specific, but it's really interesting how it matches uh, them. And, they, and if you end up applying and choosing that school, then you automatically get that money. Yeah, that's huge. And again, I'm just sitting here like envious of all this as a call as a former college student um, for the fact that they do the work for you. You know, like it's there. It's you applying for it. So again, it's it's looking ahead. It's being organized. You know, it's getting all of that done. But just those resources alone, you know, through the colleges, through your actual school and, you know, like local area, go to your career center or your guidance, um, you know, your school counselor and the office there. They usually have tons of local ones um, for like, you know, the PTA has one, the the teachers union, the, you know, all of that. And your school probably has a scholarship program that you might not even be aware of, you know, exactly. too. So you got to keep that in mind. There are also scholarships out there that you don't have to um, write those essays or have those rec letters. But I'll be honest, I don't know what, I don't have numbers to back this up, but many of my students don't apply to those scholarships with the essays because they're so like done with writing essays. And I tell them like, look, if you could get $5,000, even if you can get $1,000, whatever the amount is, that all can add up because you can get as many scholarships as you apply for. It's like a second application process, a second job um, to do all of that. So I don't know why you wouldn't, you know, so you can work ahead. So for the underclassmen who listen to this, like, you don't you can't apply to many scholarships scholarships as an underclassman but you can see what's out there and get the resources and get organized and get set so you know what i see you nodding your head with that because you have two again twins because i have twins as well so i'm already looking at deanna <laughs> for advice so, no, um, i absolutely agree it's funny when, when you said you know about uh, uh, about the time commitment and that kind of thing. But we've talked about this. I mean, I talked about my own kids because they did win a few of the smaller ones, mm-hmm. uh, which were really fortunate. Uh, but it was like, if you think about it, okay, they do 10 hours worth of scholarship applications and they win one 1,000. That's kind of like a job where you're making $100 an hour, right? Yeah. So, you know, it does pay off. Uh, and 10 hours might seem like a lot, but you can get a lot of scholarships done in, you know, in that amount of time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Same with your applications. Yeah. Just do it. $1,000 can pay for two semesters of books. Two semesters. And there's ways out there to rent books and stuff. That's a whole other um, conversation. That's true. (laughs) That would be like financial 101 of like what you have to pay for, you know, for college too. But that kind of leads me into that piece too, is that um, many times I feel that students and parents just focus on tuition. Like it's this. And they're not looking at everything else that's involved with that. So when you're looking at colleges and granted, you shouldn't be completely scared by the price tag because some of those more expensive private schools do give out a lot in merit aid. Not all, <laughs> not all of them, but many of them. Um, but that's also looking at the total cost of like meal plans and all the fees that, you know, the computer lab fee, you know, the activities fee, this fee, you know, like then you're looking yeah. at how 
housing, whether, you know, most schools you do have to, not all, be on, in the dorms on campus, you know, as a freshman or if there's off-campus housing. All, and then cost of living, all of that stuff that, you yeah. know, you kind of take for granted when you're, I guess, your child is living under your roof, you know, and then you think, oh, wait, they need this and this and this and this and that. So how did you, you know, as a family kind of get ready for that when it comes to like the whole sticker price, so to speak, of the school? Well, that's not it. <laughs> uh, well, okay. First, you can look at the schools under what they call the cost of attendance. So I always tell the families to look at what they call COA, cost of attendance, because it does give you an overall picture of what all those fees, like Jen was saying, there are multiple fees in addition to tuition and then housing and you know room and board typically if it's the dorms, but then there are lots of other fees. And also on the cost of attendance, it will estimate for you books, it will estimate for you travel and things like that. So what, what we did as a family is we did really look through that kind of line by line. And then, you know, there were some things in there, um, you know, I, I forget the exact term that they use, but something like, you know, personal items. And so for me, I kind of took that as like, okay, haircuts or clothing or shoes, things that I'm already paying for. And I, I still intend to pay for while they're in college. So that we kind of subtracted out, uh, insurance. I still have, you know, so there's a few things on the cost of attendance, depending on, uh, your situation that you can subtract out. But in general, it, the, the COA does give you a really, uh, a really kind of broad idea of what, you know, what you'll need to pay for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for explaining that because I, you know, again, another acronym, and I feel like those who don't work with this on a regular basis, you know, keeping track of all of that, that stuff too. So, you know, again, it's about doing kind of research early as well. You know, I know it comes up a lot when students want to do early decision for a school. And I, my kind of thing with, as a counselor is like, look, early decision is a family decision um, because with many of the colleges, it's, you know, with all colleges, it's a binding contract. And with that includes the financial part of that binding contract. Not all schools will allow you to back out of it if you get accepted. And again, for those listening, early decision is you have to go to that school if you're accepted. But I feel like this financial piece doesn't come into play sometimes in parents' minds until that early decision decision conversation, which is usually happening the summer or fall of senior year, um, where I'm like, okay, I can't tell you to do early decision because I, that's unethical financial wise. I will help you go through it, but you need to, as a family decide, because if you're accepted to that school, you have to attend and it doesn't matter what the other school gave you financially. And this school didn't give you as much because, and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but most colleges, if you say, well, we can't afford that, they're going to ask for proof, you know, <laughs> that you can't afford that. Because there's a difference between, I had a conversation the other day with one of my um, students and parents. I just said, there's a difference between I can't afford it and I don't want to pay it. Like <laughs> there's a yes, difference be between that. So um, is there anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, no, I have the same, uh, the same conversations with families uh, regarding that and the early decision. And you do have to be, I think, financially committed at that time uh, in order to make that happen. So I, we talk about the exact same thing. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, If finances are an issue at all and you're just, or even if you just really want to see what your student gets and you want to compare, uh, you know, it's worth it to, you know, to wait. If, you're, if your child is far and away, has a first choice, 
and you know you have the financial means to do it, then go for it. Mm-hmm. I'd say if there's any hesitancy, you know, one of the things um, that I often talk to families about is that some of your ultra, well, to be honest, the majority of the ultra competitive schools. So we're talking about the Ivy Leagues, and we're talking about Stanford and USC and 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 schools on this tier, this level, um, do not offer a lot of financial aid for kind of middle and higher income. They do have some low income uh, you know, benefits for students, but they do not offer merit scholarships. Uh, so it can pay uh, literally <laughs> and figuratively to look uh, broadly. Yeah. Uh, often find that less competitive schools will offer your higher caliber student more free money, more scholarships, mm-hmm. more grants. And so, you know, this is something, I think, again, kind of a family decision, as yep. you mentioned with ED, but really looking at broadening that list. Sometimes those, those less competitive schools will have more money and honors programs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Some, some really tempting perks, uh, you know, for your student. Yeah. So No, I think that's good. I just wanted to bring that up because I feel like with my seniors, that happens often. You know, it's, it's too, you know, and again, not looking at just the sticker price, but, you know, keeping that in mind, but you can't bank on, like, you got to go into it, I feel, go into it, like, as if we're not getting anything. Are we going to be able to afford this? Like, because you can't say, well, we, we hope and put all our eggs into that basket that our child gets those scholarships because they might not, or they might not be as many or for as much as you were hoping too. Exactly. And I, and I think another misconception, uh, which I've seen along the line, but also saw it, you know, last year amongst my kiddos and their friends is that when that federal formula comes out and you see the estimated family contribution, people think that all of that need is going to be met by the college. And that's not necessarily true. Uh, you would hope, right. That if it says you can afford $10,000 and the college costs 40, that they would offer you $30,000 in grants. Uh, but that can come in many you know, varieties and perhaps a lot of loan more than you yes. would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's unfortunate, but it doesn't mean they're going to meet all of it uh, with some type of free money grant or work study, uh, which again, you just kind of leads to applying you know, as broadly as possible uh, mm-hmm. you know, if finances are a concern. Yeah, absolutely. And applying as many scholarships as you can. Like, you know, I, I tell students, I, my seniors just look at me like I, I'm crazy, but I'm like, okay, average, you can apply like two or three scholarships a week starting this yeah. month into this month. And then that may, that way, and they, they're kind of like, wait, what? I'm just supposed to do that while I'm doing applications. I'm like, well, yeah, because you've done everything I asked you to do, right? So you're set. So exactly. you have to kind of balance it out. And you can also recycle those essays as long as they follow the prompt. Um, yeah. You know, so, so if you did an essay for whatever school, you know, and this is a scholarship that's another entity that has nothing to do with the school, you and it fits the prompt, you can use that um, uh, essay. You just can't try to shove it in there if it doesn't work. I've seen that where I'm like, okay, this doesn't work. <laughs> you can't do that. Um, but, you know, I guess just to kind of end with is like if anything out of all of this, because there's a lot of information, um, as a parent who's recently gone through this, what are like the two, two things of advice? that you can give. I think that's a good way to end because you were in the thick of it. You know, you you have, <laughs> I am far, far away from that for when it comes to my kids, so. I think, 
I think, you know, two things really. Uh, one is just to, you know, be on top of deadlines, you know, be diligent with it, uh, complete everything early uh, just to maximize the potential and to explore options, you know, keep your options open, look at what schools have to offer, you know, in conjunction, of course, with what your student wants to study and where they want to be. Uh, but really, uh, you know, I think those would be the two things. Yeah, great. Thank you. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this today. I'm, I'm, I know that if I had something like this before I applied to college, it'd be really helpful just to know all the different ins and outs. So it was really helpful. Thank you so of much. Of course. Thank you. Our team of experts at UCEZ are proud to support students in 26 states. Last year, 98% of our students were admitted into colleges ranked among the top 10% in the country. But what we are most proud of is that we take our students from where they are and help them get to where they want to go. For more about what we do at UCEZ, check out our website at uceasy.com. Thank you for listening.